Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater fan extraordinaire here. So the idea of immersive theater is a very common one in performance in general lately. Basically, it means that a show is being presented in a way that feels more immediate and tangible to the audience than the traditional setup where the audience is in seats, the actors are on stage, and never the two shall meet. It's most common, I find, to see an immersive setting at shows that are totally new, like the mega popular Macbeth reimagining uh, Sleep No More in New York, uh, and less so when it comes to the kinds of shows that are regarded as sort of sacred classics that don't need any uh, strange touch-ups. Like, say, Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd, the dark and darkly comic musical about a barber hellbent on revenge who partners with a quirky London pie shop owner to, shall we say, make the idea of murder delicious. You can all laugh accordingly now. Uh, Sweeney Todd is considered not just one of Sondheim's greatest works, but one of the great masterpieces of musical theater, period, which would ordinarily make me think directors would be loath to change anything about it. But in recent years, it's actually proven to be ideal material for inventive staging. Uh, the most recent Broadway production actually had the actors doubling as the orchestra, playing instruments and singing on stage. Um, and the current production playing in New York's West Village at the Barrow Street Theater is an import from London that I feel confident saying is unlike any musical you will see right now. Uh, the theater itself has been transformed into a kind of grimy London pie shop. Uh, much of the audience actually sit at long dining tables, and if you get there early, you can actually have a meal of traditional pie and mash before the show even starts. And the actors perform throughout the theater, jumping on tables and getting quite up close and personal with the audience. I would advise men who look like they could use a shave from Sweeney to maybe watch out. Uh, for a show that's often treated as so grand that it's on the level of opera, it's a very refreshing take that actually works really well. It makes kind of the tragedy and the extremely clever comedy of the story feel incredibly immediate. And it's also just a lot of fun to see Broadway caliber actors in such close quarters. I've seen the show twice now with two different casts, and I'm certainly not the first to say it's one of the most unique and really well done musical experiences running right now. 
It will be up through August 26th, but it's had so many extensions that I wouldn't be surprised if it runs even longer than that. But that said, well in advance of that date, I was really happy to have the lead current cast members on the podcast to talk about the very unique experience they have in the theater doing Sweeney Todd each night. I tend the tale of Sweeney Todd His skin was pale and his eye was odd He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again He trod a path that few have trod Did Sweeney Todd I'm going to start this by saying what I've wanted to say since I had the idea to do this podcast. This is the Sweeney Pod. Oh. You may all fall over now. <laughs> Very good. Yes. But, um, and now the podcast is over. Uh, <laughs> so why don't you go around first and tell us who you are and who you play in the show? Hi, I'm Tom Sesma and I play Sweeney Todd. Hi, Ta- uh, Tom. Hi. Todd, Tom. <laughs> um, I'm Sally Ann Triplett and I'm um, Mrs. Lovett. Uh, I'm Billy Ty, and I play Anthony Hope. I'm Delaney Westfall, and I play Joanna Barker, I guess. Is my last name right? Don't tell me. I'm not supposed <laughs> to know. And, and you're all fantastic. I saw the show actually for the second time. Um, I saw it for the first time last year, and then saw you guys a couple weeks ago. And it was very interesting to see how things kind of change with a different cast and we were better, different right? vibe in the theater. <laughs> You're all great. I like, <laughs> it's honestly been a while since I saw it the first time, so I was like, these guys are fantastic. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was, I had a different seat. I wasn't, I was right, at one yeah. of the like, uh, pie shop tables the first time and then I was a little bit farther back this time so it was an interesting different perspective not so um, much twisting and turning on the old back no no and this time Tom crept up behind me once and I did like a jump scare <laughs> when you came from the back of the house oh yes. Point, yes oh my gosh it was that was, that was last Saturday wasn't it yes it yeah, was <laughs> I think I think, I think Two other people who were sitting near you just just also went up and hit the ceiling. They, it was, were, they yeah, were scared. I I jumped in my seat for sure. Good. <laughs> Do you take different paths, different times? I can't tell you that. Oh. I? I mean, I could, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> this is already so mysterious. <laughs> well, I mean, this is clearly a completely original take on the show and I was wondering before you auditioned had you all seen it in the space or what did you sort of know about what you were getting into in terms of doing Sweeney Todd involving running and jumping on tables <laughs> I mean I had not seen the production I knew that it was acclaimed and I knew I had friends that had been in it or had seen it and they all said it was amazing and it was so innovative and new and cool but I had never seen it until we started rehearsals and then I, my mind was blown <laughs> Uh, I'm actually the same. Uh, this is the first production of Sweeney Todd I've ever seen live. I had only ever seen the uh, the tape with Angela Lansbury, um, so it was it was really amazing and uh, to to see Sweeney Todd at all live for the first time and to know um, when I saw it that I was going to be a part of it was was really special. It's not like the tape. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> what about you two? Um, I I auditioned for it without seeing it, and then I didn't get it, and then I saw it. And then a year later, I auditioned again, but then I'd seen it, and now I'm in it. Does that make sense? <laughs> it worked out well. Um, I was asked to audition for it, so I went to see it, and um, I, my mind was blown. I think like most people in the theater, I, I, most people, I don't know. Um, I, I know Sweeney Todd pretty well, at least I, I thought I did. Uh, and then I watched this production, and I swear I 
didn't know what was going to happen next. It was so different. Um, it was so surprising, um, so courageous, you know, uh, in, in, in the telling of it that uh, it really took me by surprise. Completely. I, I mean, one of the things that's most striking to me is that I think for Sweeney Todd in particular, the characters are so iconic. And if you've seen many productions of it, you think of each person as being a certain way. And then when you see it on such an intimate scale as you do in this production, so many more individual elements of the characters, I think, creep out. Like, you're a completely different Sweeney than the one I saw before. And you just seemed like you were born to play Mrs. Lovett, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> in my DNA, being a, a Cockney girl, yes, <laughs> you're believable. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 be, because it's just on this very different scale. I mean, do you feel like you're able to sort of bring more of yourselves to the role in a way that maybe you couldn't on, uh, you know, a huge Broadway stage? Definitely, I feel like the subtleties and the. I, I, I don't know. I feel like with me in particular. I get a lot that you know people when they see this production and they they under, try to understand the role of Joanna, they forget about her or, or she's not very memorable. And something that I have tried to do is bring my quirkiness and uh, weirdness and <laughs> I don't know to it. And I feel like that's been more successful and it's, and it's been easier because we're allowed to be more subtle and we're allowed to be more real because the audience is right there. We don't have to be on this huge stage making large choices so the back of the house can see it. And I love that. No, I, I found that the, the space allows for a lot of honesty in a way that we don't typically get to work with on a, on a bigger Broadway stage. And, and that has been really re refreshing and also challenging because you know when you're doing the show eight times a week you, you're, and your audience is less than a foot away from you, you're held accountable to that standard of you can't get away with any BS in front of them. Like they see everything, so everything has to feel natural and feel real without crossing into performance. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's it, finding a fine line between what is what feels like performance and what feels real. And that's been that's been the greatest challenge and the greatest reward of working on this production mm -hmm. so far for me, at least. Yeah, I think that uh, um, it, it was really interesting coming into a show that has been running beautifully for a year. Um, and so we're sort of being, um, I don't want to say shoehorned, we're, we're, we're being poured into this template. And uh, our brilliant, brilliant director, Bill Buckhurst, didn't just want us to be satisfied with being in that template. Um, we had to grow, we had to do, uh, we had to bring our own individuality to all of these roles. Um, and rather than expanding outward like you would in a big giant production, he just kept asking us to dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper into ourselves and into the characters. And um, I think he was fairly success successful. I think that's, that's a lot of what um, I'm feeling, and I hope it'll, it's what the audience is seeing, is um, new discoveries that all of us, I think, are making almost every night with these characters, you know, that's just part of this brilliant text. Completely, it, well, it, it certainly can't ever be boring. It seems like the kind of show that like, you start at the beginning of the night and then it's not over till it's over, or at least mm -hmm. until the end of the act, it's like a merry-go-round that like once it starts going, there's nowhere to hide. I was gonna say that if you're in a big theater, um, not that you should ever kind of get away with anything, but I remember Tom and I saying early on, 
oh, just wish we had a fourth wall tonight, you know, somewhere we, we could <laughs> slightly hide, um, just for a, to, to mix it up a bit. But there's no hiding. And um, as you just said, it, once it starts, it goes. And we just never know what form it's going to take. And I think that's what makes it... Um, it's kind of exhausting, but but brilliant at the same time, because you never know what, what the audience is going to give you. They may give you kind of nothing. And then you have to kind of slightly have a word with yourself don't you sometimes some right. some nights and mm. kind of go okay that's how it is tonight um and other nights they just literally scoop you up and throw you around the room and it's just different every single time mm-hmm. you know in the theater we always give lip service to the idea that the audience is another character mm. um and that can be in a 2000 seat theater or it can be in a small theater with 130 seats in this in this case it's really true the energy of the audience the personalities of the audience really inform the playing of the play uh, on a nightly basis um i'm not saying it's different uh, it's a different show you're seeing, but um, the the tenor of the play is different. The vibe is different. It's really cool sometimes. Sometimes it's a little harder. There was a, a little a girl in last night. She, I think she was about twelve, maybe thirteen, and it was her it's her favorite musical. And she, Very normal she was for a kind of old, yeah, yeah, morbid twelve year old. She was kind of all dressed up and she had um, big bunches, kind of sort of love it-ish style yes. with black lips. Whoa. And, uh, and yes. she knew, she had warned me before the show, because we all go out and chat to people, and she said, I know every word of this show. <laughs> and she did. And it, and because they're so close, um, you know, I kind of had to kind of almost put my hand up at one point to not see her because of, I thought I was going to go wrong because you can just see everything. Well, she, I w- wasn't, she wasn't just saying the words. She was giving you a full performance. <laughs> oh, wow. And hoping that we might notice as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might pull her up and say, you know what, why don't you, why don't you take over yeah, for yeah, this first? <laughs> <laughs> we, we need a miniature Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. you have the right hair. Dinner a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy who was sort of, he was conducting. Um, oh my God! Uh, he was right. in row D, oh, yeah, sitting right, right at the front. Yeah. He was so into it. He wasn't singing along. Singing along, fine. Go sing along. Go ahead. I don't care. Don't conduct. Air conductors are the worst. <laughs> oh my God! As someone who used to play in orchestras, there are like people in orchestras who like to air conduct too, and it's like so confusing. Mm. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> well, I was curious how much of sort of the faces of the audience you can see, and I was thinking of the fact that. Um, like you said, it's so different every time you see it. The second time that I went, this most recent time, I was struck by how much of the humor kind of came out of it in a way that didn't the first time I saw it, that it really is quite a funny show, even though it's also very sad and heartbreaking in other ways. Um, there is a lot of dark humor in it. Um, there was this like middle-aged couple sitting next to me who I was convinced maybe they were tourists who were like, this seems like a fun thing to do tonight. I didn't quite know what they were getting into. They were hysterically laughing so much in the first half of the show to the point where I was like, are they making fun of it? And then I saw that the woman was like mouthing along to all the lyrics. So I was like, clearly these are fans and they're just ignoring, like enjoying the the humor of it. I mean, are you, have you picked up on that, that people are digging into that side of it or? Yeah, certainly sometimes. Weren't we just talking downstairs about (coughs) being surprised at how many people know this show so well? Mm -hmm. And then conversely, being surprised at how many people don't know anything about Sweeney Todd. So it's a real joy to be able to, you know, dig into those different sides. They've kind of warned us that we've passed the year mark. So kind of the the diehard fans or the ones that have come several times are 
weaning, like going away and we're getting new, just like newcomers, like first time Sweeney Todd or tourists or, and so I think that will make our experience even more interesting because mm -hmm. like we've already experienced one night we'll have the greatest audience in the mm -hmm. world and the next night they will not make a peep the entire show so I don't know if we have that to look forward to or to <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's not just Sweeney Todd though it's also mm -hmm. we have a lot of people coming to the theater who have no idea what uh, a site-specific site specific yeah. terminology means or immersive terminology means. You know, they really don't, they're really surprised by the fact that that we're inviting them to be engaged into the play. Yeah. I had some friends in and um, on, on, our, on, on the kind of evening when Sondheim was watching and I had oh, loads yeah. of friends in, yeah, and I had like 12 friends in and one of the friends was an American, she's a, a billionaire. I mean, she has so much money. And they came in and they had the pies. And she went, this is great. Where's the stage? And my friend had to say, well, we're kind of, we're in it. We are the, we're in the stage. Where? Like there, like in front, you know, it just was, she couldn't, couldn't grasp it at all, but loved it. Yeah. How did you get through the night that Sondheim was there? You know, it was funny. I, I, we had been running for a week, right? We had had like a week of preview performances, and and then then himself comes, um, and I think for me, there was still so much to do. There was so much to learn. There was so much to get right. That this still was, is in a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Um, that was distracting enough to keep me out of the Sondheim yeah. consciousness <laughs> for a lot of the play. Uh. So that was that was helpful. I think it'd be more uh, scary if he were to come back now. Yeah, I, I think so too. <laughs> I think I was more distracted by the fact that we all had friends and family in the audience, and you know, they all know me. They all know my tricks and the things that I <laughs> I can throw into shows, and and I felt more pressured to put on a show that I felt like they would be proud of than Sondheim, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was really nervous, but. For some reason, right before I walked out for my song, I got this like wave of like really positive excitement that I mean, I felt like I had one of my best performances. And I think that there was just such a wonderful energy in the room because we had so much family there. And we know he loves the show. He wouldn't be here if he didn't. He's come like six times. So oh my God, I, I don't know. I felt I, it was just an honor. It was it is something I will remember for the rest of my life. Being yeah. able to perform his material for him. It was just amazing. It's really <laughs> thrilling. But you know what else is crazy? Because it's such a small place and, and the way the show is lit and the way it's staged, what I was saying earlier about the audience being another character, the audience is watching the audience. Yes, you know, totally. You, you can be in row B and you can be watching the people's reactions in row D, at, almost like their characters in the play. Yeah. And so that night, a lot of people were watching Sondheim to see yeah. his reactions. <laughs> It's nice. His reactions were good. Yes, I was, I was going to say, I've seen him watch his material before, and he, he laughs. He reacts just like everybody else. He doesn't, he doesn't try to remove himself from it. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I mean, this seems like a good point to step back a minute. What do you think it is about this show, which premiered in the late 70s, yet I think still feels so contemporary and so relevant, um, still gets produced all over the place every year. What is it about the music, about the story that you think just continues to appeal to audiences? Gosh, it's a hard one to answer, isn't it? I mean, my daughter absolutely loves it, but she loved it even before we saw it last year. And she's, you know, at the time she was, I guess, 14. I don't know if there's a... um, there's a danger in it and for young people there's lots of kind of there's lots of this stuff on the telly that they like to watch that's got that element to it <laughs> um the music um is phenomenal you know exactly where you are and, and when it's set and, and and the timbre of the piece and what it's going to give you and um actually underneath they all they're just normal people that are all kind of looking for love Maybe in a crazy, demented way, <laughs> but um, but they are just all normal. They're just all normal people. I guess there's something to you can relate to. Yeah, you know when I first listened to the uh, to the double album, it came out on vinyl, yes. 1978. Wow. What's vinyl? Uh, what's vinyl? Um, I remember my reaction to it, particularly when the end happened, which I didn't expect at all. Um, I remember thinking what a timeless piece it was at that time. That, that uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if people felt that way. You know, the first audience that ever watched something like Death of a Salesman or, or Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> you know, if they sat there thinking, oh my God, I'm seeing something that, that that sets a new standard that is that will last forever. That that my grandchildren's grandchildren will be talking about. But um, you know, it's it's that kind of piece. Um, it's so well written. It's so deeply uh, thought out. Um, there isn't. I know this sounds weird. There isn't a lie. A single dramaturgical lie in the telling of it. It mm. never violates a truth that it sets out for itself. And, uh, and it makes it last in a way that um, that's something that doesn't have that depth um, will last. It's, it's kind of incredible. Also, it, it, you know, um, what Sally was just saying about the, they're just normal people in very desperate times. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all just normal people. And the times that we're living in right now regardless of where you are politically, are very, very desperate. And so I think, and also we live in a time right now um, where um, vengeance, which is a big theme of the show, is looked upon as a virtue Hmm. for the first time in, I don't know, maybe human history, um, as opposed to a flaw. So it does speak to these times very much. Um, 
but it does so very artfully and in a very, very entertaining way. Yes. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> Agree, done. So you all have been on Broadway before, on very big stages, and I have to think that doing this show in particular, which is, I, I assume, so challenging musically um, from a vocal standpoint um, in this space, how, what kind of different sort of like dramatic and vocal recalibration is necessary for you? Like, how do you prepare to sing and also do all this physical activity and also be aware of every little thing around you and like not trip and fall? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that is something that we're still very much discovering. Um, sonically, it's such a different experience than anything I've, I've ever done. And everything is strategic in terms of how to place things and where to place things. You know, we're, we're constantly aware of which walls to, to sort of aim our sound off of so that things aren't lost in the doorways uh, yeah. or in the hallways or in the stairwell. Because we're not mic'd, right? Because we're not yeah. mic'd. We're not wearing microphones at all. And we are oftentimes holding our own part. And it's Sondheim music, so it's <laughs> it's dissonant and it's all over the place. And it's it's really difficult to to harmonize with each other if we're not all listening. So I think it... There's a nice combination of us all kind of having to, like what you said, recalibrate the way we approach not only how we sing, but how we aim where we sing and how we sing together and how we work as an ensemble uh, in a way that's still a challenge. I think still eight times a week, it's still very difficult to figure out how to make it sound fresh, how to make it sound healthy, and how to make sure that that product and that piece of art is the same for all eight audiences. Especially that eighth show, that Sunday <laughs> night show. Um, well, I I told the story before, I just think it's kind of funny. With um, the accents in particular, I was I come from, I came from Kinky Boots and I had a week overlap where I was doing a Northampton accent at night <laughs> in Kinky Boots and then I had to come do a standard British during rehearsals. And so that was kind of interesting just to like be able to switch my brain but also I had come from singing pop and belt for the past three or four years I haven't even tapped into this like classical side for a long time so that took some time and still just like feeling comfortable and and being able to get through the whole show without you know straining or, or feeling super tired is still a challenge that I'm trying to figure out I was very convinced that you were actually British. So this, <laughs> is, a, this is a so revelation much. to me. <laughs> Maybe I'm not good with British accents, but um, I totally expected you uh, to be the other British person here besides Sally. But oh no. <laughs> and I mean, what, what about for the two of you? Because I mean, these are really almost kind of operatic roles for, for both of you. And you're doing them in such a raw way. Um, I think... <clears throat> I think the thing for me is is um, when I go up to the fourth floor to have a kind of a warm up and and get myself ready. I, all I can really do is think about who I'm playing, and if I think about who I'm playing, I um, put my voice in a slightly different place, and then that that helps me <laughs> to um, most of the time get through most of it. It's um, pretty tricky stuff and, and, and they are all over the place and and the characters go in so many different places um, and, and, and particularly Mrs. Lovett, it doesn't, she doesn't, just doesn't stop talking so there's nowhere to breathe and yeah. there's still so many places in the show where I, I was like, ah, just where do I breathe? But it's so character driven that um, I think I, I kind of 
go towards there first and then I'm like okay right okay and then I, I start to warm up my voice based on that and does running up and down four flights of stairs every time there's a lift <laughs> <laughs> thank god there's a lift but it's in this amazing community center which yeah. um has got eight floors on the top there's a big gym and there's a they have um there's a nursery on the sixth floor right. and back no when aids was first um in our lives it was the place where people went to talk to someone about this illness that they had it was this very oh, wow. influential building and up on the fourth floor there's a picture of Amelia Earhart on the wall and I played Amelia Earhart and I'm always go up there and I'm always look at her picture and <laughs> get a little bit of inspiration in fact she lived there at one point she lived in that building wow yeah it's that. what a building, building that building. is I had no idea yeah it's That's a very so historic cool. community center it's really 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 great um, I never even thought about the floors above the theater floor yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny to hear you say all that. That's exactly what I do. Is it? That's, yeah. Do you know it's crazy when we when when Sally and I started working together, we we, we kind of became fast friends right away. Mm. You know, because we have the same quirky sense of humor, we have the same insecurities, the same, <laughs> um, and and to to a certain extent, the same approach to uh, rehearsing every day. Um, how how we would work step by step, and it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, that's how you break it down with your warm up, because that's exactly what I do as well. I'm not sure I could sing it like me. I mean, I would, yeah. you know, I would have a go, but it, it just, yeah. um, I always think, I, I've only ever done one other Sondheim show, which was 1986. And um, I, I've carried songs through my life with me. There's one song called I Remember, which I've sung. Mm. I sang it three weeks ago for an audition. It, it stayed with me forever. But I always feel that Sondheim, he looks after you. He, he writes for singers and he 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 knows so much about the character that he knows that that character she wouldn't do that or he wouldn't right. go there right so um sort of once you've got your character i feel that he he will look after you yeah. and there are going to be some bits there's still some bits that i find so tricky but um they are kind of written in a way to mm -hmm. enhance who you're playing that makes sense. Totally, no. He's mm. I, he seems uh, very allergic to phoniness. In, yeah, I mean, I've, I've just feel that there are some writers nowadays that write things for the sake of a, a, a high note, when it's not even necessary. You could end on a something else, and it would, you know, be just as powerful. Mm -hmm. But it's like, why do we all need to sing the very very high n notes that you know only <laughs> four people can sing when in fact. <laughs> you know it's uh, just as powerful to do different stuff yeah well it, and it we're t at the end of the day we're telling a story and it should be character driven and if it makes sense for the character then it makes sense for the character but if not yeah. it's a departure and all you're doing is now we're just singing. showing off yeah now we're showing off yeah right. which is fine but it, it it's a departure from the purpose of what why everyone's there to you know fi fall in love with this story and fall in love with something deeper than the notes on a page yeah right to sort of to this point too i i am really struck by how amazingly the score has been arranged for this production that it's like it's been i'm pretty sure stripped down to like the most basic basic instrumentation do you have three four three pieces three pieces and yet you really do get all the elements of the score in yeah. there which is like pretty incredible mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing how um, Ben 
chose the Ben that Ben Ben Cox. Ben Cox. He chose. Cl- he chose clarinet, clarinet violin, clarinet. and piano. It's almost slightly klezmerish, uh, almost in a yeah. way. Sometimes the the I, I lie there dead at the end. I'm listening to the violin, and <laughs> it, but it is. It's got kind of a klezmer. How he decided that those it was those three instruments. Yeah, I have no idea. It, it it's really kind of a work of genius. Yeah. Completely, and it goes well too with the sort of. Uh, I think there's like that sort of old British shanty feel to some of the um, to some of the music, and I feel like those instruments are really well chosen for that too. Yeah, yeah I feel like particularly. I mean, I've heard versions of Greenfinch and Linnebird with a full orchestra, and it's beautiful. But I there's just this connection between me and the violin, and it's just I just think it makes it some of the most beautiful instrumentation of this song ever. I mean, the piano is there too, but. I don't know. There's just really cool connection between me and the violin during that song. Yeah. And that's all it needs. Well, this all brings me to the idea of, do you think that this show is actually in some ways better suited to a space and an approach like this? I'm, I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd use a qualitative term like better. It's, um, it's different. It's, um, it's going to be different for everyone, too, uh, who sees it. But for me... For this guy, um, <laughs> the guy in this chair in front of this mic, it's um, it's a deeper show, um, and it's about a, it, 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 it's about specific things that I have never felt when I've seen other productions of Sweeney Todd. Which doesn't mean it's better; it's just a different experience. And I felt that way, you know, in July when I saw the show that it was that it was different. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And it took, me on a, it took me on an emotional journey that I wasn't prepared for, which I think is why we go to the theater. Um, you know, we've all seen, I said Romeo and Juliet earlier, how many times have we all seen Romeo and Juliet, you know? And invariably in those best productions, you're surprised at what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're practically on the edge of your seat saying, don't drink the potion. He's on his way, really. Um, and I, I would like to believe that we're doing the same thing here. That for people who don't, who, who do know the show, um, they're trying to hold us back in whatever way they can. And for people who do know the show, or don't know the show, they're on a ride that they, they're just um, experiencing something brand new. <laughs> I, I I have to say on the subject of audience members watching other audience members, I wonder throughout the show, have you ever picked the wrong bald man to like stare into his eyes and pick as you sort of pick them out for the yes. user, user? Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna happen. <laughs> it's it's um Yeah, sometimes people it doesn't mean that they're not engaged. Uh-huh. It just means they're not engaged in the way you want them to be. So it's taught me a lot as an actor to, uh, you know, to let go of my expectations. Um, That's such an amazing moment as well because I get to watch him do that every night, and it's 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 the way that you go from you're almost bro- a broken man, mm-hmm. 
into kind of jumping on the table. And I think that's it. I mean, it surprises me every night. And, you know, people that have never seen it. And all of a sudden he's got he's a knife at their throat. I mean, some of their faces, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really crazy. Sometimes yeah. you get people who are just too and uh, uh, really much more enthusiastic than you want them to be. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that guy last, last night. Yeah, on oh the end. Oh my gosh. He, yeah. Oh, I don't, he was, he was going for his equity points. I think his yeah. wife had a word with him in the interval because she swapped places with him. Yeah. She was like, right, you're not in it. <laughs> he was Where throwing like a bad lines. extra. He, yeah, he was a bad extra. He was a little embarrassing. You, could, you couldn't hate him for it, though, because he was just loving the play. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think he was desperate to get other people involved in the same way that he was involved. But what was he? What, what happened? It was when uh, Toby went over to. Um, with the with the bottle of with elixir, bottle of Pirelli's elixir, oh, and yeah. this guy had a full head of hair, but he wanted he wanted to be played with, you know. He wanted he wanted Pirelli's like, uh, elixir, you know, poured on his head. He wanted head. to be he the magician's assistant, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he was waving his arms and he was laughing. He was talking to Toby while Toby was singing, and all of us all of us had just turned into pillars of salt. We just did no. not wow. know. Right. We were just he, all so happy that we weren't Zach at that moment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he was the most extra of extras. <laughs> yes. He. Uh, I also sat at that table for the top of the second act, which is for God That's Good, and I'm eating the pie, and he leans over while we're singing the song, and he's like, "There's privates in that pie," and I was like, "Just." <laughs> It's like okay, okay I've been listening. Kind of busy right now. <laughs> Paid attention. <He's, laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my you god. Know. You just never know. Well, I, it seems that for the most part people are along for the ride, perhaps some a little more than you would want. But <laughs> so maybe that's a good problem to have. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you. for jumping much. around. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. The history of the world, my sweet. Oh, Mr. Todd, oh, Mr. Todd, what does it tell? Is who gets eaten and who gets to eat. And Mr. Todd, too, Mr. Todd, who gets to sound. But fortunately, it's all so clear. But everybody comes out well with me. Sweeney Todd is running at the Barrow Street Theater in New York through August 26th. You can buy tickets and see more information about it at SweeneyToddNYC.com. By the way, the music you heard at the beginning of the podcast and just now is actually from the 2005 Broadway cast recording. Sadly, this production does not yet have a cast recording. If you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us lots of nice stars and reviews. You can always find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff and on Instagram at YaDownWithRMM, Y-A Down R-M-M. And you can use hashtag Billboard on Broadway to tweet about the podcast and hope to have you back next week.
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.